Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Okay, hey, we're recording. This is great. So Natalie is in where? Philadelphia. She's in Philadelphia. Okay. And we're rolling right now, by the way, anyway. So Natalie uh, spoke at the Social Venture Network conference that I was at. This is funny, Dave. Look. I know. It's uh, weird. uh, It's weird. Like, we got to do something. We'll we'll figure it out. Um, So she was one of the keynote speakers at the Social Venture Network. Actually, I can watch you through the camera. There we go. You You look really good. Uh, (laughs) Conference. And it's funny, Dave, because we've tried a a couple of times to get Natalie on on the boiling point. A couple of times... Things happened and we were just unsuccessful. So today, I'm <coughs> I am really excited. She presented herself in such a in such a real way at this conference, and I immediately went up to her after and I said, "I need you on the boiling point." And she and and sounds very kind. She accepted. Yes, exactly. And um and and so what was it specifically about her presentation that would have you go after and say, "I, I want to learn more." Well, I. Th- a lot of it had to do with environment, too, because we're in Philadelphia at the Social Venture Network. She's from Philadelphia, heavily involved in the fashion world, heavily uh, involved in uh, in really helping Philadelphia kind of grow out of uh, out of a lot of different challenges that it's had historically. And I don't know, sometimes you meet somebody or you hear somebody speak on stage and you're like, that's somebody I want to know for the rest of my life because they've got... Brains that I really respect and yeah. I want to learn more from. Well, know? well, do you know? You know, I'm thinking, and I, you know what? I'm. I don't think people really care if they can see me or not. So I'm going to change this a little bit. This mic, but that's you know that's something about you, buddy, that is pretty um, cool. Where um, you know it wouldn't a lot, a lot of people would hesitate. Uh, they would see someone speak to you know however many mm-hmm. people and you know just you know maybe think oh, it'd be nice to talk to them but but you just you know I, I love your ability just to charge right up and <laughs> have a conversation and you know and I benefit from it because I get to meet them and then and then when they come on like everyone was like uh, hey Greg like they know you and and you know you were you were you know someone in the audience and now they're your friends well, it's, well, it's, well, it's very cool in, in a way Dave that's one of the points for having a, bo- a podcast in for me, and I'd love to hear for you, like what does the Boiling Point podcast do for you? For me, it opens doors to, to building new relationships, which I'm all over, right? How, how about you? Well, I, I get to say I do a podcast with Greg Hemming. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? You just get to learn, well, that and, um, no, you get to meet the, the most interesting people. Um, and it's fun to share. And, you know, like, like I read this really cool article the other day. Well, here's an, here's a great example. So, um, we're, we're going to be doing a, a podcast with, with the guys that founded We Day and, um, and the, these two brothers, and this is quite a, a, like a global movement. And I went to Halifax with my son and it was a chaperone and it was just blown away. Gord Downey was there. Um, I heard so many good things about that. We Day. Oh my God. It was like a, it was like going to a, I was going to one of one of the coolest clubs you've ever been with a bunch, you know, and there are a bunch of kids with all this energy and uh, anyhow. So um, I was reading, or someone, my brother actually sent me an article about them and said, "Man, you should get them on the podcast." So they're coming on, you know, and we're, we're actually invited to the media day in October. I don't know if and you know this. There's some really exciting news that I can tell you, Dave. Okay, I think I can tell you. 
maybe I shouldn't tell you because maybe this isn't uh, okay. This is not public yet. Okay, I'm well, not. Then, I'm, then, I'm, don't, don't I'm not going to tell you, don't but share. I will give you a hint. Okay, something in my life. I'm not going to say what. I don't know. Like it could be video. It could be. I don't. Know, who knows? Something in my life is going to be connected with that We Day event that's happening at Harbor Station. I'm guessing music. And, no, 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 we're not going to. We're not going to take any guesses. <laughs> ah, but I am that, the one. The one in Halifax. And this, no, there's. There's one coming to St. John, Dave. Really? We Day is coming to St. John. Wow. And if I am breaking the rules by you have. by saying that, I apologize. Uh, maybe it's just rumor that they're coming to okay. St. John. I don't know. But but here, here's going back to my point was <laughs> that, you know, you, you you see an interesting thing and, uh, you know, then you get an inter- you know, opportunity to interact. And you think of some of the amazing, like, Olympians we've been talking with and, um, you know, just people doing very, very cool things for, for in different companies and pioneering uh, like, you know, very cool people from your, you know, like sector, like in filmmakers, um, you know, you know, the natural one we always kind of point to is, uh, you know, an astronaut uh, and on and on and on. And, um, you know, what it's just it's just such a it's such a cool, th- you know, thing to, to be able to do. But here's here's an interesting thing is I'm wondering how quickly that door closes on like everyone has a podcast. So it's just the thing to do. Right. Do you know what I mean? I like, don't know. Like, oh, here it's, we go. it's totally not a crowded market. But it's, it's going to start. It has to start. Hello, Natalie. How are you? Welcome to The Bowling Point. Thank you so much, Greg. How are you doing? <laughs> Fantastic. So I was just singing your praises, Natalie, try, trying to do a uh, do some justice to who you are as your introduction. And I was telling Dave that after your presentation at the Social Venture Network in Philadelphia, that I came right up to you because I was like, this is somebody I need to know and somebody that I want to keep talking to. And perhaps the only way to do that is to invite you to become a guest on our podcast. Is that is that kind of how it went down? I really appreciate it. <laughs> Say again? Is that how it went down? <laughs> I think so. And I really appreciate you doing that. I'm sorry that, it's, that we've gone back and forth so much, but um, I'm, I'm happy that we finally uh, got this date in play. So thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Hi Natalie, it's Dave. I'm I'm Greg's co-host. Um, and yeah, he has he has we we started recording um ahead of ahead of this, so you can when when we when we um launch this, you can hear you know all all the all the praises he was singing about you. All the and, praises. And uh, yeah, so um, Thank you. you'll get a, you'll get that opportunity. But I gotta ask. I mean, just just out of curiosity, um, you you do a present you know a presentation, and this this guy with his beard. And probably he's wearing a hat or crazy hair. Comes out of the crowd and he says, "Hey, what? You got to be on the Bowling Point podcast." Hey, man. What? 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 <laughs> what, what, what was that? You know, like, like he was. Did he seem credible enough to 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 go for it, or what was what was that experience like for you? Yeah, you know, I um, my husband and I have this uh, phrase we use a lot. This principle we call it the law of momentum. And um, for us, it's really about you keep going through the door that opens. And I'm a, I'm the sort of person who um, I meet with pretty much anyone because I never know what I'm going to learn. I never know um, what it may lead to. Yeah. I never know what it could spark inside of me. So I thought the whole group there that was convening there was up to really good work. So for me, just the context was a good sign. <laughs> and um, and and. You know, I, I thought, yeah, why not? So that that was that was my response to it. That, well, that's that's very cool. Um, so and, and it's called the law of momentum. Is that is that your is that the law? Yeah, you... I, that's what, yes, we made it up. We called the law of momentum. I actually am going to be speaking in September at um, the Cusp Conference in Chicago, 
And I believe that I, I, I'm narrowing down on my window of decisions about um, what topic I'll speak on, but I, I think I'd like to share out about that because I've, I've been fleshing that out a lot more in the, in the past six months or so, especially. So I think I may, um, it, it gives me, you know, speaking about a topic gives me the opportunity to really fine tune it and flush it out more. Yeah, that's, but I think I'll be talking about development. I love it. Well, and you, you, you know, you kind of strategically kind of placed it in this conversation and it's almost, you know, like, and it's a neat way to explore something, isn't it? And like, as I'm, as I'm, yes. and I'm, you know, and I've, I've done that a few times myself. I do not nearly probably as much public speaking as you, but a bit. And someone will say, well, here's a topic. Can you do that? And I'll say, yeah, absolutely. And it's almost like you paint yourself in a corner and then you, and you go, geez, I got to <laughs> figure this thing out, um, you know, in, in a way, yes. <laughs> in a way that's going to make sense and, and people appreciate it. And does, do you, does that, cause i find it causes kind of positive anxiety in me what about you how does that how does that yeah. work for you yeah well for me i think it's that same principle of um i like to remind students and clients that that time is a constraint for creativity and often we forget that that constraints of any kind constraints of resources constraints of supplies constraints of of um time can really help us to um, distill and to uh, actually get get to the point and get and get more clarity. So um, it is it is it, it does create anxiety absolutely. But I like your your phrase was it positive anxiety or productive anxiety? Yeah, I think yeah, absolutely yeah. That, that happens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's neat. That's a, I love the way you look at it. And Natalie, let's let's just talk a little bit about uh, you and your work. You know, you you're an ideas woman. Like this is this is kind of yes. what your uh, your raison d'être is, as far as I can tell, is really making change in people's lives and communities' lives through ideas. Which kind of goes back to what you're uh, referencing a second ago about time being a uh, a constraint to creativity. But ideas and creativity are, are are so critical for us building the lives and the world that we want to live. You know, um, yes. and we do have so many constraints. So. Talk to us a little bit about how you encourage your clients and your students about ideas. But before you even do that, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and let let our listeners know uh, who you are? Because Dave and I failed to do that miserably at the beginning. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, so, uh, hi, I'm I'm Natalie Natalie Nixon. I'm a design strategist. I have a very loopy background. My background is in anthropology and fashion, and I've always been very hybrid. I've always bridged corporate and nonprofit, I've always been able to bridge uh, creative economy and, and, and then, you know, bottom line and design and business, and it wasn't until I, I reached my 30s when I finally became okay with that and comfortable with that, because uh, for many, for most of us, society, we, we get these messages from society that you've got to become more and more narrow, more and more specialized, and um, for me, I, I thrive in the, the hybrid Spaces. I thrive in the multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary spaces, and um, so by the time I, I hit my 40s, I really realized, hey, this is my value proposition. That and that the fact that I'm a nerd um, is is really what I I um, have used as my distinctive points. And so um, I was a professor for 16 years at Philadelphia University, which is now actually Jefferson University. And my last, I started out there as a professor in the fashion management program, 
midway through my career there, I decided naively to earn a PhD while working full-time, and my PhD is in the field of design management, and that really was a mind-blowing and mind-expansive experience, and that led me to convincing the university that I should start the strategic design MBA program. So I've always been a very entrepreneurial academic. Um, I really loved creating and building um, that program with a number of amazing practitioners and academics from really around the world. I was able to interact with some really spectacular graduate students. Um, but about two years ago, I started my design strategy practice, which is called figure eight thinking, um, as in the iterative, uh, the figure eight for me just kind of denotes a very iterative process. And I started figure eight thinking um, after I, I was a TEDx Philadelphia speaker in 2014, because after I gave that talk, I started getting invited to give a lot more talks and workshops. And John, my husband, convinced me, you know, you should, Nat, you should formalize this. It's like becoming a thing. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'll, I will formalize it. So um, uh, I recently made the shift to focus full time on figure eight thinking, which I am loving. And uh, I am keeping a toe in academia, so um, I've been invited to teach a couple classes at Penn, and I am also now a fellow at the Paris D School. So I am really enjoying this this, this chapter of my professional life. It's really, um, for me, a um, I'm feeling like I'm really thriving in what I, I love to do, which is my meta goal is to really change lives through ideas, hmm. and then a, a step be, be, below that, it's really how, how can I help people optimize creativity? I'm very, that matters to me. I'm very interested in how we can do that. Because I think we're hardwired as human beings to be creative. And so many people are kind of dying a slow death in, in, in their work environments because they're, they're not, they're not working in a way that, that, that um, really taps into the creative process. So that's, that's, that is an awesome summary, by the way, um, and and very succinct. Um, and you know, and it did, but and at least a lot of questions. One of which, and I we see this in your bio here, and I'm curious about this because you know I, I have a chance to work with a lot of leaders, um, but you know this idea of developing leaders by teaching and applying the strategic design process. To, help us understand, like, what does that mean, and why is it so important for leaders right now, in your opinion? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I gave a talk last week, or I, I was invited by Blackbaud. Blackbaud is a, is a uh, I guess I would describe it as a, as a software firm that, that services healthcare, financial services, and education. And they invited me to give a keynote to their education um, clients in Boston. And um, they asked me what I wanted to talk about. And I said, well, you know, I'm not so much interested in the, the business of education anymore, but I am very interested in the future of learning. And so I talked about the future of learning and inventiveness and play. And one of the things I touched upon is that, um, you know, the soft skills are now the real skills, Mm. especially in a very saturated market and a competitive environment. So the strategic design process requires people, requires us who who indulge in it, who, who use it, who utilize and apply it. Um, you know, it's incorporating the, the human design, the, the human-centered um, design process, design thinking, um, as well as, you know, a huge amount of it is really cultural anthropology, policy research methods. So that means that uh, I think it matters in the couple for leaders because 
it 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 starts with empathy, and it 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 brings us back to you know why why we're doing the work that we're doing. Fill in the blank, whatever the work is that that you do, if it's in financial services or in healthcare or in community act, activism or whatever it is, um, the empathic starting point it shifts the the way the strategy is built out. It shifts the way financial models are built out. It shifts the way uh, marketing is built out because if we start with people first and we remind ourselves constantly that it's, it's people who are consuming our services, our products, our experiences, that then leads to a really nice cascading effect to you know incorporating prototyping, delving into lateral thinking so that we're not just benchmarking within our own sectors, but we're looking at you know what what would this what would Palabula's dance company do or Alvin Ailey dance company do? What would Google do? What would uh, what would kindergartners do? What you know so so it's really getting models for working and building out networks and processes and systems from a, from a range of, of places. So that to me is why the strategic design thinking process really um, is helpful. What can you can you is there examples of an organization that um, does you know put people first and as a result their their strategic design process um, you know maybe is 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 um, you know from your perspective would be like an exemplary example of uh, of of you know nice clean elegant design. Yes, there's several, um, and I and I only know about this company's organization tangentially, but. So USAA, the insurance company, has committed to really incorporating design, design methods, design, human-centered design into the way that they work and build out insurance products and sell insurance products to people. So they have an entire design thinking team, an entire design strategy team. And so one of the things that does is that um, if you are an insurance firm, you begin to realize that while you're trying to sell an insurance tool, from the perspective of the person, the family, um, it's really about life events. You know, you're not buying insurance. It starts with, oh, my God, we finally can buy a house. You know, we're not renters anymore. Oh, my gosh, we now are starting a family. So what does that mean in terms of life insurance and, and health coverage and protection? It's kind of you have a paradigm shift when these life events happen. Mm-hmm. So companies like that, through using the design thinking process, they they start from a very different place. They don't they no longer start only from, you know, this is the, the latest and greatest insurance tool, but it's it's let's first connect what's happening in people's lives and if we're authentic about it, that then 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 we will become first of mind to them when it comes to the insurance product. Another example is IBM, which has had to reinvent over and over and over again to the point where we don't, most of, a lot of people don't even realize that, especially younger people don't realize that it was originally international business machine, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where it reinvented to doing a really cool show at the MoMA, at the Museum of Modern Art, to now in Austin, Texas, IBM has an entire IBM design team, and they are on, uh, they are on target to, hiring over, you know, 1,600 designers by 2018. I think they're at least up, maybe 1,800, they're at least up to like 1,500 designers on board. So these are, and, you know, Fidelity Bank, which has a vice president of design thinking. Here in Philadelphia, where I am, Independence Blue Cross has an innovation center where they use a lot of human-centered design methods. So there are so many companies that are realizing that if we invest in, 
this process, it um, it changes the game in terms of how we build out so many areas of our business. The challenge for really large companies in incorporating you know, design thinking is, is that there you you get you can get into a situation where you know how do you scale it? How do you move from it just being the innovation center or the the, the lab or the studio or you know, oh those are the people who get to play with post-its all day? I'm being very snarky when I say that to you know people really understanding the ROI of mm-hmm. that process, and that's 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 a big challenge. There's actually a wonderful. A uh, scholar, academic named Sabine Juvinger, and Sabine has a really elegant and simple framework. It's it's uh, where where she maps out kind of the process, kind of four stages that organizations go through from being either you could plug in design led or innovation led, and it starts out where you know, start with consultants, you then start you know at Center or Lab, you then saturated throughout different departments, and finally it becomes part of your culture, part of who you are. Hmm. But that's, that's the process that takes time. And Natalie, when when it comes to design thinking, it's uh, it's actually a concept that isn't uh, totally known by everybody uh, today yet. Why don't you just boil it down uh, for listeners who may not have heard a lot about design thinking and, and in, in some real simple terms about how, and how it's actually really changing the way organizations work and how, how they make impact. But uh, why don't you define uh, design thinking uh, just in a real quick way for us? Sure. The, the simplest way I like to explain what design thinking is is that it is a problem-solving process. And it's a problem-solving process that borrows from the way designers work to frame challenges and we apply that process to the design of the intangible. So designers who are looking at designing a better garment, a better pair of eyeglasses, a better uh, dishwasher, a better car, a better building, um, they use a process that starts with empathy. They engage in prototyping, and, and they value the learning that comes from having a much more experimental approach and, and, and you know having the, the rough draft, ugly mock-up of an idea, getting feedback, engaging in a very iterative process, using story as a tool because story is, is human truth-telling. Story is what connects us. Stories are why some of the most innovative companies today are leading with story by having, you know, a 90-second video go viral on YouTube. And, you know, there's a range of companies that do So Dove has a, has a whole series of tearjerker um, uh, videos on, you know, where, you know, you never see a bar of soap or a bottle of shampoo. It's all about we understand what it's like to age as a woman, or we understand um, what it's like to be a woman with naturally curly hair. You never see that aesthetic reflected in advertising. And so they talk to people and they tell those human stories. And then P.S. They become top of mind when you're in the drugstore and you're looking to buy, you know, soap or shampoo. So, so the the process of the designers use of empathy, of prototyping, of lateral thinking, of story, design thinking takes that process and applies it to the intangible. So you can actually design services. You can design experiences. You can design processes. And what I have found is that design thinking is very intuitive. Um, um, and it's it, it's something that people respond to at kind of a visceral level. People take to it very easily and well, 
Um, the challenge is that sometimes people think, oh, I get design thinking after two workshops. But the complexity of design thinking is learning how to scale it. Um, when do you use which tools in which context? And you only get better at that um, through, um, through, through practice, through trial and error, through time on test. Yes, you actually have to apply those, those principles and methods. So that's how I define design thinking. It's a problem-solving process. You mentioned the four kind of stages, and you know it becomes part of a culture, and and the fact um, yeah. that, that. But I was wondering, what are the challenges that um, are are obstacles that you see out there um, for the business community to actually, you know, uh, you know, really embed in their culture strategic right. design thinking. Um, because you know, there's all these benefits to doing it, and I'm just wondering. And you know, and and the other idea is that people, you know, go to a couple of workshops and they think they're, you know, they they're they're there, right? And I'm just wondering, yeah. you know, to become part of a culture, like and and where you know where it lives and breathes. Um, what do you see as kind of the obstacles that need to be need to be overcome? That's a great question. Um, well, first of all, design thinking is one of many tools. It's not the end-all, be-all. Mm -hmm. It's a tool that certainly resonates with me because of the hybrid nature of it. But one of the, the big challenges that, that a lot of organizations have is just bandwidth. If, if they're running in such so thinly, if, uh, if the situation of figuring out, um, you know, who, who, how do we commit to it? Who do we ask to commit to it? Uh, is leadership going to be on board? Um, how do we actually build this into our everyday work so it becomes part of our culture? So the bandwidth challenge is one. Um, this, the second challenge is that most organizations today are, have an orientation where it's metrics focused. It's metrics, metrics, metrics. And yeah. design thinking is not a process where the um, added value is discernible in the short term, typically. Um, sometimes it's small shifts that can make a, create a huge paradigm shift. That, that, that does happen. In other cases, though, it, it's something that requires, requires a lot more time. So I like to say in design thinking, if you apply the 80-20 rule, the Pareto rule, we spend 80% of our time in problem definition. <laughs> we even ask the right question, before running down these rabbit hole assumptions, that's a, that's, that is not a paradigm that, that a lot of companies want to engage in because they want the answer yesterday. So, so um, the, the, the rate of return is another challenge. And then the, the third challenge that I kind of touched on in the first part of my answer is that you have to have leadership that, that, that says, um, this, is, this is not just a fad. This is something that we want to incorporate as, as another part of our toolkit. And we want to equip ourselves with this mindset, with this way of framing problems, with this way of building strategy. So if it's, if it's a siloed effort, it's going to be really hard. At the same time, I will say that I'm a big proponent of emergent leadership. So when I talk about leaders signing on to this, yes, it's helpful if the, if the person at the top of the helm is an advocate. But the reality is a lot of change in organizations happens in you know, organizations are networks, and there's nodes, and there are hubs. So there's all types of leadership that, in reality, that is happening at, hmm. in an organization at any given time. So there's a lot of opportunities for smaller teams to start practicing this process, and through example, where people see success, then uh, people are attracted to try to incorporate it. Well, Natalie, I think 
a good next step as well would be for you and Dave to connect again because Dave's got this phenomenal executive coaching company called Vision Coaching that's working with clients all over the place. And Dave, it sounds like what Natalie has is something that plugs in really well with what your clients are looking for. Yeah, I think it complements it. Yeah, really. You know, that's and so naturally, I've, there's a, a million other questions I have because <laughs> I I'd love to learn more. But yeah, I would I would I would jump at the chance to to continue to to you know have some dialogue. Yeah, and to that, Natalie, thank you so much for investing a bit of your time with us. How is how do people get in touch with you, Natalie? What's the best way for them to follow you to to buy your books, to get in touch, and to hire you? Oh, thank you so much. Um, so my website is figure8thinking.com, and the eight is the number eight, not spelled out. My email address is natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, at figure8thinking.com. And on social media, my handle is at Nat W. Nixon. So through all those those three ways, um, you can learn more about what I'm up to and what's top of mind for me and, and what I'm what I'm working on. Well, now I hope that we cross paths again, perhaps maybe even Philadelphia again someday or another social venture network event. Who knows? But I, I do so. look forward to it. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you so much for your time and for this invitation. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for inspiring us. We'll talk to you soon. Talk soon. Bye. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. I love what she brings to the table, Dave. Like she's just uh, the design thinking world, which you and I are quite knowledgeable about, but I, I suspect there's a lot of people who listen who have heard that term thrown around, but don't really know what it is, you know? Um, but there's some people that, that just really explain it in a way that we get it, you know? And, you know, even talking about that Pareto rule about the 80-20 split, like we, uh, 20% of our of our efforts are actually what brings us success, not the 80%, you know? So how do we tweak that through design in ways that we're, we're being incredibly productive, you know? Uh, yeah, so anyway, what, what did you take away from it, Dave? Oh well, I mean, there's there's is a lot there. I, I you know I I guess what, one of the things that I really appreciate is you can tell she's thought so deeply about this and and her ability to articulate it in a way that um, for me makes a lot of sense. You know, and and it just kind of I think there's just an invitation there to learn more. Um, but you know, and I also think I can't help but think of you know how important. Um, it is for leaders to embrace, you know, this kind of idea if, the, if it's going to have any traction. So, um, what a, yeah, what a very cool guest and, uh, well done to, you know, for you listen to her run up and, 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 then, and this, you know, that's how thing I make I, friends. I, well, you're good at that. <laughs> the law of momentum. Like, I love it. Like I want to, you know, that's cool. And I, and the other thing is just how we started when she's saying, I'm going to speak on this. So I've got to figure out how to do it kind of thing, right? I'm like, now nah, I can relate to that. Like, <laughs> so what a what a great way to learn a topic. Or like, I mean, not that she needs to learn it, but but to be able to express it and and share it, um, you know, and, and, and publicly um, really forces, you know, your thinking. And, and uh, anyways, I just, I just, so, so, you know, we're kind of aligned there. Um, but uh, very, very cool. And people, I mean, I'm going to check out figure8thinking.com for sure. That's great. And to close it off, Dave, yes. um, for the benefit of people watching this on Facebook and not for the benefit uh, of the folks who are listening to this later because they can't see it, but show the new Bowling Point t-shirt. Oh, okay. One yes. more time. This is amazing. One of our previous guests and supporters and sponsors, uh, Paul Simmons from Robert Simmons Clothing, uh, it surprised me. I didn't reckon, I didn't realize this was happening so quickly. He made Boiling Point shirts. And now Dave has been going to sleep in this shirt with me on his chest. 
<laughs> it is so sweet. I, I well, I, I love I I love the blue. I think it's great. Um, yeah, and I've got one for my kids and for my wife, Mary Ellen. Yeah. And, and there's <laughs> actually they got they have these cool ones. Are these um, you know kind of three quarter length uh, sleeves and uh, very cool. So, so so where do people get them, uh, Dave? Uh, Robert Simmons and dot com. I believe it's dot com. Yeah. So we we'll figure that out a little bit more because once we get our act together, uh, yeah. it will make it easy for people to buy our shirts. On that, we'll see you next week. I've got another excellent uh, person lined up from a recent trip to Boston for 48 Hours in the Hub, Dave, which you are actually going to be involved with a little bit later on, if I recall. So we will get to that one uh, next week, which is actually in about five, ten minutes. See you then. <laughs> see you, man. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com. And on Twitter, at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.